0: we want to be the movement that sees Austin saturated with the gospel by developing disciples so that the emerging generations will be captivated by Jesus Christ. Awesome. Awesome. Well, good morning, Austin Oaks Church. Uh, my name Good morning. My name is Josh Broccolo. I am the tech director here on staff. Uh, Just want to welcome you here this morning. It's already been a great time of worshiping together. But thank you for being here, um, for those of us here in the room, but also uh, those of us tuning in online. Thanks for making us a part of your Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, I hope that Thanksgiving has been a good time for you. Uh, It's a good time to pause and reflect, to think about the blessings that God gives us, um, you know, as I get older, I, I, I appreciate more the role of tradition and ritual, maybe better said, uh, just the idea of seasons of life that we go through that, that God kind of puts in our lives. So in a time like Thanksgiving, we think of the harvest, we think of abundance, and we're able to just see these blessings, um, whether it's family, friends, or even food, and we're able to, to celebrate and to partake in that. And um, it's, it's nice to be able to highlight those types of things uh, because, frankly, there are times of life where we need to, you know, tighten our belt and be more disciplined, and, and those are, that's good too. But then also to just come together and celebrate what God's doing, um, celebrate what God has given us, uh, has been really nice as well. And I hope that if you haven't already, you would take some time to just pause and reflect on the things that God has done in your life, the blessings that he's given you. Um, as cliche as it sounds for me, the things that immediately jump out um, when I think of how God has, has blessed me, well, my family uh, comes to mind first. Uh, my wife, Samantha, and my three kids who I don't deserve that God has, has put under my care. Um, I think of our health as well, you know, the past couple years have been kind of crazy on that front. And so um, God has blessed us, uh, has taken us through that. And it's, that's been great. Um, I also think about you guys. I think about this church, right, that I get to be a part of this local body of Christ, that I can raise my kids up here along with you guys. Uh, so thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of this church um, because it's vital, That we're here. It's vital that we're here together. And it's a blessing to me and to my family. And um, I hope that you guys are blessed by being here as well. So, thinking about Thanksgiving, thinking about the blessings that God has given us, um, I've got a question for you. And I'm not sure that I have the right words, so track with me here because I might just fumble through this. But um, if I were to ask you to describe, what would you say if I were to ask you to describe how God works in the world? How would you describe how God works in your life? Okay, or or, let me put it this way. How would you describe an act of God? What do you think that that looks like? And as I was thinking about this question, um, because I'm a nerd, a couple things kind of popped into my head. Uh, The first one is this term, a deus ex machina. Now, that's a Latin term. Um, It means God out of the machine. So that's weird. I get it. But it was coined during uh, the ancient Greek times when one of their primary forms of entertainment were stage plays. Okay? So you have this story played out in front of you. You have these heroes battling it out, these city-states, these nations. You see their Greek pantheon fighting as well. And, of course, in storytelling, you build to a climax where there's all this tension. You don't know how the good guys are going to get out of this crazy predicament and what's going on. And so if you've written yourself into a corner, you don't know what will happen. Well, there's always an easy answer to that. You just have one of the Greek gods come... And enter the scene and with their amazing power they can fix all the problems and the heroes escape and everything's great. And so a deus ex machina, god out of the machine, is actually referring to the machine that was used by the stagehands with with the, the, you know, the levers, the pulleys, and the ropes that would... Um, hold the person who was playing the Greek god in this case so that they would descend from the heavens onto the stage and fix all the problems. Which is great when you're writing a story, um, but we know that doesn't exactly uh, happen in our lives all the time. Um, If you think of something, like nowadays, when we say a deus ex machina, we're usually talking about poor writing, right? You don't know how to resolve the tension that you've created in your story, and so... Someone just shows up and magically fixes things. Um, again, I'm a nerd. Something like uh, Lord of the Rings, some people say that the eagles are a de- deus ex machina because they just show up out of nowhere and help out the fellowship. Something like that. Um, so we can think of an act of God being where he just shows up in our life and he makes things right. He performs a miracle and things are great. And that's awesome. And hey, sometimes God does that, Right? But I think of uh, something else, and maybe you thought of it when I used the term act of God. Something absolutely riveting uh, is insurance, an insurance policy, right? What is an act of God in an insurance policy? Um, Well, simply, it just means that it's something that humans couldn't do, an event that we couldn't foresee, that we didn't cause, and so we attribute it to God. But interestingly, um, for insurance, it's not that God shows up and fixes everything. It's actually attributing to God things like uh, forest fire, right? Something that destroys your, your home, your property. Um, it's a tsunami, right? It's a, it's a flood, a hurricane, something like that. And so it's, it's not God showing up and fixing things. It's, it's a calamity. It's a catastrophe, right? It's something that, that just jars you changes the course of your life and not always in the best way so if you see it like that I mean if that really is an act of God then how do we reconcile that with what the scripture says right how the Bible talks about God as being abounding in love slow to anger right full of mercy and grace towards those whom he loves how do we make sense of that How do we make sense of what an act of God is? Well, last week, if you were here, Pastor Chad got us to the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke. He was talking about, uh, he led us through up until Jesus' crucifixion where he was on the cross next to two criminals. And so today, we're gonna look at his last moments. We're gonna look at his death uh, and then what comes after that. So Let's jump in. We're gonna start in Luke 23, uh, verse 44. We're gonna read here and then I'm gonna pray for us as we begin. So starting in verse 44, it says, it was now the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour when the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So let's pray. Lord God, I ask that we would see you here this morning as we look at the story, this account of the death of Jesus and then what comes after that. May we see you in all of this, in what's going on. Speak to us this morning. Help it to change us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so here we are at the final moments of Jesus's life, right? And something miraculous happens, and it's again not that God peers from the clouds and shows up and fixes everything, but the miracle that happens here is that the sun goes dark. And you might be reading this, you might say, "Okay, from six o'clock to nine o'clock in the morning, like, okay, that's a bit later for the sun to be dark, but on an overcast day like today." That's not too abnormal. Um, but when this was written, the, ways that, the way that um, the Jewish people told time is that the day began with the sunrise. So around 6 a.m. or so. So the sixth hour from then would be noon. And especially if you're counting from sunrise itself, six hours later would be when the sun is directly above you in the sky. And so when it should be the brightest part of the day for the next three hours there was darkness. And that darkness was a physical manifestation of something that was happening spiritually. It was a response from the heavens of what was happening to Jesus. Um, there's, there's a worship song that we'll sing sometimes. You might be familiar with it. The, in the, in the, there's a line in that song that says that the day that Jesus was crucified, it was the darkest day in history. And that's for multiple reasons. Um, spiritually, there was something very dark happening here. The suffering, the pain of Jesus was dark. And physically, it was dark because the sun itself, it says that its light failed. So let's carefully consider what's going on here. Why? What makes this so dark? Um, because I submit to you that this was actually this, the death the, the torture of Jesus was the most evil act in all of history. That might sound kind of crazy. <laughs> We've done a lot of evil things. But the reason I say that above everything else is because Jesus was innocent. He was innocent, okay? So he had been, he had been tried by the religious leaders, by the political leaders. Uh, he was unjustly condemned for blasphemy, for saying that he was God and they condemned him to die. And he was innocent of that because he was indeed God who had come to save his people. He was innocent of that charge. And later, when he was brought before the people, the crowds, um, the crowds were given the choice. Jesus can go free or this man Barabbas, this known terrorist could go free your choice. And the crowds cried out, Barabbas, we want Barabbas to go free. So then when they were asked, what do we do with Jesus? They didn't even say to kill him. They said to crucify him. The worst punishment that could be inflicted on a person. And Jesus was innocent of everything. See, Jesus never once sinned. And that's hard for me to even fathom Because I know my own heart, right, when I do things, when I do good things, when I want to do something good, there's always that little bit of me that's patting myself on the back, right, that pride that wells up. All my good deeds are marred by the sin in my heart that wants a piece of that glory. But with Jesus, it was different. Everything that Jesus did was exactly the way that God wanted him to do it. So every word that he spoke was exactly what God wanted him to say. Every action he took was exactly what God wanted him to do. Every thought that he had was exactly the thoughts that God wanted him to have. So if we, we think about this a little bit more, okay, when, when Jesus was speaking and someone would be offended by what he said, or... Uh, Man, you know, Jesus says some harsh things sometimes. Uh, He calls people a brood of vipers or uh, whitewashed tombs. Like, Jesus, maybe you need to to calm down a little bit. Maybe this isn't the best place to be throwing out insults like that. And when we're offended by those things, it actually, it doesn't show that Jesus is wrong because Jesus was perfect. It shows how we are wrong. It shows how our perspective is skewed. It shows how um, our perception of the world is wrong. Because if Jesus was perfect, if he was the absolute perfect standard, and we say, uh, well, no, I don't totally agree with that. There's uh, something there. I, I wouldn't do it that way. Insofar as we get off from that standard, we condemn ourselves. We are wrong at our core. So in all these things, the perfection of Jesus shines through. He was absolutely innocent, Right? And he was sentenced to death to crucifixion. Jesus was unjustly beaten. He was mocked. He was tortured. He the Pastor Chad brought out how last week um, he couldn't even he was beaten within an inch of his life so that he couldn't even carry his own cross, something that criminals were supposed to do before they were crucified. So they had to pull someone else out of the crowd to carry his cross. That's how much suffering, how much physical pain was inflicted on him. But on top of that physical pain, Jesus was also suffering for our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That when we sin, when we sin against God, when we say no, I'd rather rather do something else. I, I don't think that's right. When we turn our backs to God, we purchase for ourselves death. And that death was poured out upon Jesus for his people. Jesus was experiencing that death on the cross on behalf of those that he loved. Hundreds of years before this had even happened, the prophet Isaiah talked about this. He said that Jesus would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities and that the punishment that brought us peace was on him. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. When we see Jesus on the cross, this was that crushing for our sin. And that's why I say, and I'll say it again, that this was the most evil act in all of history. Because you look at who put him up there, okay, from our perspective, from the people who were there, and I would be one in that crowd as well, crying out for his crucifixion. They meant that for evil. They couldn't stand the perfection of Jesus. They wanted to see him gone. The leaders at that day, the the religious leaders, the political leaders, They didn't want someone perfect. He was a threat to their power. They wanted him gone. This was done for evil. And we also have a spiritual enemy, Satan, the devil. He wanted to see this done. This was, it was for evil's sake that he wanted to see Jesus die. He wanted to see him mocked. This was done for evil. The only man to live a perfect life before God, also had God's wrath poured out on him so that we could be saved. So if we turn the camera around for a second and we look to Jesus, what, what do we see in this dying man? Um, well, one thing that just screams out at me is that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. Right? physically. Um, that this should not have happened, right? He didn't take up his rights and say, no, I'm innocent. He willingly went to the cross. He knows what it's like on a, on a, on a level that I will never experience. He knows what it's like to suffer. Physically, it's amazing the amount of suffering that he went through, but also spiritually, spiritually as the wrath of God was poured on him for us, right, for our sin. And this is why the sun seemed to, to hide itself from what was happening, why the sky went dark in the middle of the day. Again, I, I like that, that poetic um, way of saying it, that this was the darkest day in history. And I can identify with that sometimes. Are, are you suffering? Do you feel alone? Do you feel abandoned, going through pain, and you don't understand why? Jesus understands what you're going through on a deep and profound level like no one else can. He's experienced it, not just um, As God, he can say, oh, I know what suffering is like. But no, he took on a human body and suffered. He knows what it's like and he can comfort you. I would encourage you, if that's you this morning, cry out to him and he will provide you comfort like no one else can. I, um, I think of some of my darkest days and uh, and and I don't consider myself to have lived a very difficult life, in general. Um, but like most people, I've gone through some hard things. Um, you know, when when uh, in, in the first few years of our marriage, uh, we we went through some hard times. We had to deal with some issues in our marriage, and I remember the days where I barely ate anything because I was just distraught. I remember uh, lying in bed for hours, you know, maybe sleeping an hour or two a night because I was just so ridden with anxiety of what was going on. That was a dark time. Um, And more recently, within the past couple years, (laughs) I rejoiced with my wife um, that we were having a child and just weeks after we found out, um, we miscarried. And uh, that was dark, that was hard. When I was uh, 23 years old, my younger brother, David, was 21, he was driving home from work and uh, his car swerved into oncoming traffic. He was hit by a semi-truck and died instantly. Um, I remember getting a call from my dad saying, You have to come over. So, Sam and I get in the car, driving over, and I still remember walking through the door. I remember the look on his face. I remember the tone of his voice when he told me what had happened. I remember falling to the ground and, and just sobbing with my family um, in grief and in sorrow over what had happened. And yet, even at my darkest moments, even in those difficult times of pain and questioning, I, I, I can't honestly compare that to what Jesus went through. And okay, it's not always a good idea to compare suffering. Um, and I don't say that to, to sweep my suffering under the rug either, but I say that just to, to see the glory of what Jesus is doing here. Right, both physically and both spiritually, the pain and the suffering that he was experiencing, and I can tell you from my experience that he can comfort like no one else can. Um, The Bible says that that God gives a peace that is um, beyond understanding, that surpasses our understanding, and I know that to be true. It, It doesn't make rational sense sometimes, but he can bring comfort and strength when no one else can. And Luke here, in the story, he shows us something amazing, even at the depths of pain and suffering that Jesus was experiencing. See, because looking at Jesus in this state, up on the cross, you would think he's weak and he's pitiful, hanging up there for hours and hours. But no, Luke tells us, he gives us this picture of Jesus. As he was dying, what does he do? It says he cries out in a loud voice. You could easily read over that quickly. I know I did the first time I read this until it was pointed out to me. You know, if you know anything about crucifixion, you you don't die from the, the nails. You actually die from suffocation. So at this point, he should barely be able to muster a single word. And yet Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's saying, God, I know that you are judge over all. You have seen my life. You know I am innocent and you will vindicate me. Not only that, but Jesus here is claiming victory. In his final moments, in his moments of death, he is claiming victory over his enemies with a loud, triumphant voice. And how do I know that? Well, Jesus here, yes, he, he, he says these wonderful words. He is also quoting a psalm. So back in these days, um, before cassette tapes or CDs or Spotify or before recorded music, um, different cultures would have song books, right? It would be literally the the songs of my people, right? And so for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, they had the Psalms in the Old Testament. So when someone quotes from a Psalm, that would put that song in your head. Okay, he's saying something more than just those words he's referencing an entire song okay so so what was this song that Jesus was referencing it's from Psalm 31 we're going to start in verse 5 where Jesus starts it says into your hand I commit my spirit you have redeemed me O Lord faithful God I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols but I trust in the Lord I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. See, Jesus is saying here that, yeah, things look bleak. The sun was darkened out. I'm in immense suffering here. This is the epitome of injustice, right? And yet he says, God has not delivered me into the hands of my enemies. I have the victory through the Lord. That God is in control and that his plan will prevail even in the most dark circumstances. And we get a glimpse of what God is doing here. We get a tiny little sliver in, in what Luke shows us next in the centurion, right? So the centurion, he's, he's a Roman soldier. Let's put ourselves in his shoes, okay? Executions were probably a bit more common back then than they are today. Um, so he's probably seen this before. It's probably just a regular day for him, a regular Friday for him, right? Crucifixion happened on Friday. So he's there as a Roman soldier. Uh, these are the, the last moments of these criminals' lives who've been sentenced to death, And he's there to make sure there's no funny business, right? I mean, they're they're right about to die so they could try anything. So you gotta make sure they stay in line. So he's seen this before. He's seen criminals die. But something's different about Jesus. Something's different about the way that he suffers. The way that he was crucified. The way that he took the beatings. The way that he took how he was mocked. Right? It, It even says that the soldiers, earlier on in the book, the soldiers were mocking Jesus. Saying, oh yeah, are you really the king of the Jews? Well then, where's your entourage, right? If, If you're really God, then why don't you stop this from happening? They were mocking him. And the centurion saw it. Maybe he joined in with them. He very well could have. But in this moment... When he sees Jesus suffer, when he sees Jesus cry out to God to claim victory, what does he say? He says, surely this man was innocent. Innocent of what? Well, he was condemned for blasphemy, saying that he was God. So the centurion is saying, no, he's innocent. It wasn't blasphemy. It's true. What what he said about himself is true. This is indeed God. This is the Savior. This is the Messiah that we've been waiting for, the Savior of the world. See, this centurion who may very well have been mocking Jesus just hours earlier is now, it says, praising God. He's, he's, he's completely changed. His eyes have been opened to who Jesus is just by seeing him suffer by seeing Jesus interact with these different people. And that is part of the victory that Jesus is claiming. He is claiming this centurion for his own, one of his people, even as he goes to death. This centurion is saved. And I, I have to ask, is this what you think of when you think of an act of God? Do you think of suffering like this? I know that's not the first thing that pops into my head. But see how God works through even the worst circumstances. How he's actually revealing salvation. He's revealing his love and his goodness, even from something as painful, as dark, as evil as the death of Christ. I doubt that the uh, disciples thought that God was working, that that was an act of God. Right, it says that they were, they were uh, watching from afar. <laughs> they didn't even wanna be close to what was happening. They didn't recognize God's victory in that moment, in the death of Christ. And, um, you know, how many times has that happened to me when I'm going through hardship, when I'm going through pain and suffering? Um, I don't always go to God and say, oh, I know you're working through this. Uh, So often I get wrapped up in myself. Why am I going through this? I forget the goodness of God. How many times um, do we ask and, and, and even wonder if God is even there in the midst of our suffering, right? How can he be working through something like this, through something so painful, how can he be good if he's letting me go through this? Well, Sometimes God's victory looks different than what we expect, right? Sometimes he's working through things like calamity, like suffering, to bring about his ultimate plan, to bring about something that's even better that we can't see right now. And, and frankly, sometimes we won't even see it in this life. I think about my experiences. Okay? I, I think about those dark times, um, the issues that I was having in my marriage early on. And I, I can say confidently today that I see how God has used that. I see that through that difficulty, he has grown both me and Samantha closer together. We share a greater bond because we've walked through that, because we've been tested and we've gone through the fire. And that's great. But my child dying in the womb, my brother dying at 21, I I don't know why those have happened. I don't know what God is doing in the midst of those things. But because of what I see, in Jesus. Because of this suffering and pain that I see, I know that God is doing something. I can trust in God's perfect plan. Because if God can take the absolute worst circumstances in the death of Jesus and use that to reveal to the world his glory, his salvation, then I know he can take my pain and make it meaningful that there's something that he's doing, even if I can't see it, even if I won't see it, until I come face to face with him. So we, see, we start to see this victory that Jesus is claiming in the life of the centurion, right? But now let's jump to the next chapter and we get to see more fully what God is doing through all of this. So Luke 24, we're gonna start in the first verse here. It says, It says, On the first day of the week at early dawn, they, who were the women that this um, passage speaks of, the women went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. See, this is what God had planned all along. Not just the death of Jesus, but his resurrection. That Jesus would show that, that victory, that he would show that he is more powerful than death. Yes, he would die, but he would conquer death and come back from that. After bearing on his body the punishment that we deserved, he would be resurrected. The victory that he claimed is now starting to be revealed. There's that glimmer of hope that's breaking through in the story here. See, these women had gone to the tomb. They had been there. They had seen Jesus died. They had seen him be crucified. They had, I'm, I'm sure, thought that this was a life cut short. At the height of his ministry, he was killed. They saw it with their own eyes. And they went to the tomb, expecting to find his body there. They came with spices to embalm his body, to show honor to the body of Jesus. But what did they find there? They found angels. They found messengers of God saying he's not here, he's not among the dead, he is among the living. See, our enemy, Satan, says that death is the end for Jesus. But that's only a part of God's story. That's only a part of what God is doing, a part of his greater story of redemption. New life and resurrection come out of that death and see how these angels back up their argument. What do, what do they say to convince these women that Jesus had, had come back? They ask, don't you remember? Don't you remember what he told you? He said this would happen. He said that, that he would be given over into the hands of evil men. This was an evil act by evil men, but that he would die, he would be crucified, and that he would raise again three days later. And uh, one of these accounts I want to share with you from the Gospel of John from the 10th chapter, Jesus says here very clearly, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus was following the will of God even in his death. This was the plan from the beginning. He knew that crucifixion, that suffering, that pain was part of this plan. And he willingly laid down his life and took on our punishment so that we could be saved from sin. In the middle of the chaos that was Jesus' crucifixion, when it seemed like the darkness had won, Jesus' followers had forgotten that he had said this. They'd forgotten that he had told him this. And don't we tend to do the same thing today in the middle of our darkness, of our suffering, of our pain? We tend to forget. Um, and, And honestly, it's hard not to, right? It's hard to hold on to the promises of God when it seems like he's not there, when it seems like he's not listening. But not only was he listening, he was bringing about something so much greater than these disciples could have known Right, they saw Jesus as this as Savior, as this Messiah, as the Son of God. But it was, it was more than just the Savior of the Jewish people, more than just the Savior of, of all the people in the world at that time. No, he was the Savior, and in what he had done there through death and through resurrection would resound throughout time, reaching back to those before him and bringing salvation all the way till today where we can take hold of that salvation as well through what Jesus had done through this suffering, through this darkness, and then through new life that he offers to us today. This was the revelation of God's glory, how he was revealing who he was, the redemption of his people. Because we all know the sting of sin. We all know what it feels like to be tempted to sin, to fall into that because of our heart's desire for what is wrong. Some of us know that feeling day after day after day, the, the, the bondage we have to our desires, the evil things that we want to, to do and that we follow through in. I mean, let, let me just ask you, are you always who you ought to be? Do you have any regrets? Are you now who you want to be? I mean, we we recognize our sinful hearts, right? And yet, Jesus offers us salvation, even today. True freedom from that particular kind of slavery, of sin. Through what Jesus has done, through his death, his burial and his resurrection. Christ is king over all and he shares that victory over sin and death with those who acknowledge him as savior and as Lord. And this was the plan from the beginning. This is what Jesus knew would happen. He knew that that was his mission, to save his people from their sins. He knew it would include suffering and pain and darkness, but he willingly went through it knowing that God would be glorified and that his people would be saved, that salvation would be offered to us. This is the glory that can only come about through God's plan. I couldn't think up something like this. No, if I could make up my own life, it would be way easier than that, right? But this is God's plan. At the the core of Christianity, at the core of of what Jesus had done, the crux of of Christianity, we see a number of things. We see suffering, we see injustice, we see um, abandonment and disillusion, but we also see that glimmer of hope. We see that proclamation that all is not as it seems that he is not dead, he is alive. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? We see hope and grace and a way forward and forgiveness and restoration and peace and wonder and awe in what God has done. Our passion here at Austin Oaks Church is that you would meet, know, and follow Jesus. And if you have not met him, I would encourage you to do that here this morning. And, and I want to I get it straight because if you're only looking to him for his blessings, for what he can give you, then that's not really looking to him. Because then if, if you're just looking for the blessings, then that suffering is just going to look like suffering to you. But just like Jesus who fixed his eyes on the Father and his will, when we do that, when we see Jesus, when we meet him, when we know him, when we follow after him, then these light and momentary sufferings, man, that's hard to say when I think of my own life, they're put into context. We can see that God is is doing something greater I'd encourage you to pray that he would show himself to you this morning. If, if you don't know him, cry out to him. Just like that centurion who said, this man is innocent. He is indeed who he says he is. The son of God who brings salvation, who bore my punishment. I'd encourage you like Peter, who didn't believe until he saw for himself, see for yourself today, that he is a good savior. And if you um, need guidance in that, through that prayer, we'll have some prayer partners up here at the front of the stage. So if you're, if you're willing to pray with others, please come to the front right now. Um, and we can, we can guide you through that. We'd love for today to be the day when you meet Jesus. And for, for those of us who do know Jesus, I just have a few questions. Like, are we really living with the understanding that he is indeed great enough to lead us through hard times because Satan wants nothing more than for you to question the goodness of God. That's his MO from the beginning in the garden when he said to Adam and Eve, did God really say that? Is God really good? Would he really let you go through that if he was good? Really? Don't don't believe the lies. God is good faithful. We don't know everything. We can't see what he's doing all of the time. But he has shown himself to be faithful and we can trust him. Because the greatest tragedy in all of history has brought about the best picture of God's love and grace and mercy for a sinful and wayward people. What Satan has meant for evil, what we in our sin have meant for evil god has used for good and we get to see ourselves as a part of god's bigger grander story of redemption and salvation so what would happen if we as a church were to change our perspective And we started to see that that suffering and pain wasn't just our cross to bear, but it was an opportunity for God to show his strength even in the hardest times. What do you think that God would do in and through us if we could have that perspective, that trust, that faith? Let's pray. Lord, you are good in all of your ways in the ways that we don't see and that we can't understand now we just proclaim you are so good and wonderful and loving and we confess that we don't always believe that we confess that that's difficult We pray that you would continue to change our hearts, to draw us close to you, to see how good you are, to experience that for ourselves. Change us, God. Make us more like Jesus, who for the joy before him endured the cross, despising its shame for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together.